0: They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday. This is September the 17th. Tomorrow is the big day for the St. Joseph Conference here at the Chapel. Anyone who hasn't signed up yet, please sign up, sign up, quick, quick, quick. This is going to be a great conference. We have Father Charles Murr and Father Stephen Winsky, and then I'll be giving a talk also on a biblical perspective on St. Joseph. And we have readings today. Today is the Feast of St. Robert Bellarmine. Um, So we want to follow the example of the saints because the saints fell in love with God and then let that love for God so informed their lives that their whole lives were motivated by it. And everything they did, they did for love of God. And we want to be like that, because that's what we're called to be. So we're going to look at the readings for um, today's Mass. Um, We'll look at the Gospel briefly, and then we we do want to look at the first reading from the uh, letter to Timothy. And um, we want to look at a biblical world perspective um, on our current situation and uh, going forward. We want to take every day in union with Christ. We're supposed to live, as St. Paul said, now not I, but Jesus Christ lives in us. So we ask the angels to join us here. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth. Pleni sunt celia terra, Gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui venit nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we are in the 24th week in ordinary time, and the gospel today is from Luke chapter 8, 1 through 3. It's a short gospel. Jesus journeyed from one town and village to another, preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Accompanying him were the twelve and some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, and Susanna and many others, who provided for them out of their resources. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So short gospel, but, you know, Sometimes these short things, you know, this this is God's holy word, and it's interesting. We can read the scriptures, and oftentimes we think there are things in the scriptures that really aren't important, genealogies, lists of names, certain laws that were given in the Old Testament that were provisional at the time, but every word of the scripture is important. It's God's word to us. So what is God showing us here in this gospel? Well, the gospels, this isn't the first time that that there's the reference to women who followed Jesus and the Twelve Apostles, and they assist them, right? But Luke gives us the name of three of them, Mary of Magdalene, to whom the risen Christ appeared beside the Holy Sepulchre. If you look at the Gospel of John 20, verses 11 through 18, and then Mark sixteen nine, Mary of Magdalene was the first person that's recorded in the Gospels as having seen Jesus. Then Joanna, a lady of some position whom we also meet among the women who went to the tomb on the morning of the resurrection, Luke twenty four ten, and Susanna, whom the gospel does not mention again. The role of these women consists in helping Jesus and his disciples out of their own resources. So these are women who have their own resources. But of course, women were so oppressed in those days that they didn't have any, right? Oh, well, we'll talk about that another time maybe thereby showing their gratitude for Christ, what Christ had done for them and in cooperating in his ministry. So it says that they had been uh, cured from uh, evil spirits or infirmities. They'd been healed of evil spirits or infirmities. and So in their gratitude, they took the means they had and they served the Lord and his followers, his 12, the 12 apostles. Okay, men and women enjoy equal dignity in the church. Okay remember man and woman are equal before god we are all given but we're different equal but different within the context of that equality women certainly have specific characteristics which must necessarily be reflected in their role in the church all the baptized men and women alike share equally the in the dignity freedom and responsibility of the children of god we're equal okay freedom responsibility, dignity. Women are called to bring to the family, to society, and to the church characteristics which are their own and which they alone can give. Their gentle warmth and untiring generosity, their love for detail, their quick-wittedness and intuition, their simple and deep piety, their constancy. A woman's femininity is genuine only if she's aware of the beauty of this contribution for which there is no substitute. If women don't contribute what is theirs, if we don't serve the Lord as the women he made us to be, then something's missing. You know, God saw, God saw. Adam had to find out it wasn't good for him to be alone. Okay? God knew that from the beginning. (laughs) He had a plan and he made woman. Man needs woman just as much as woman needs man. And it's not a codependency of um, let's never grow up, let's never become adults, and let's never take responsibility. It's that we need each other to help each other grow to the fullness of our humanity. And the specific feminine gifts are gifts, and we should rejoice in them, Motherhood is a specific feminine gift. And no, men cannot be mothers. They can't have babies. Can't happen. That's not what God made. So we rejoice in the gift that is ours. And all women are called to be mothers, even if they're not physical mothers. That mothering, nurturing quality that is natural to women. Okay? And that's not to say a tomboy isn't fully a woman you know a tomboy is a tomboy i you know hey it doesn't matter you know a girl that likes to play baseball or work on cars or that doesn't make her any less of a woman she's still a woman and she still has feminine gifts to offer to the world and to the church so we're supposed to co-incorporate um into our life this idea of taking our gifts and putting them at the service of our neighbor and especially at the service of the church. And we serve the church because the church is the bride of Christ. And when we, by the way, when we serve others, we're serving the church. Remember Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of my brothers, you do for me. Whatever you do for the least of my brothers, you do for me. And remember the last judgment, when Jesus at the last judgment, when he says, you know, out of my sight, you condemned. It's not because of anything they did It's what they didn't do. I was hungry and you wouldn't feed me. I was thirsty and you wouldn't give me drink. I was naked and you wouldn't clothe me. I was sick or in prison, you wouldn't visit me. I was homeless and you wouldn't welcome me. Whoa. We neglect. So yes, sins of omission can cause us to to be cut off from God. So we want to make sure that we are serving the Lord out of love. And by the way, the first, you know, if we're married and have a family, our first responsibility is to our to our spouses and to our children, all right? And then from there, we yes, we serve the community insofar as the duties of our state and life allow. If we're not married, if we're single, then we can, you know, take on uh, apostolic works within the, the parish, within the local community, you know, and, and serve the church. You know, widows, widows have a great, you know, they also have a place in the church that... Those who whose spouses have died, you have a tremendous amount to, to give, tremendous amount to serve. And so these women here in the gospel give us an example of service, that we fully embrace the idea of serving one another out of love for Jesus Christ, that we see Jesus in others and, and we want to um, be conscious of his presence and be conscious of the fact that everyone around us is... Um, is an image, a living image of God, and therefore a living image of Jesus Christ, who is the God-man. And it's interesting, I was uh, reading something on social media where um, somebody posted something about, you know, giving something to um, the homeless or whatever, and this one lady responded, she said, every time I see a homeless person, I look them right in the eye, because I see Jesus in their eyes. And that's beautiful, and that's what we want to pray to be able to see. You know, St. John Chrysostom said, well, if you don't see Jesus in the beggar at the church door... You're not going to see him in the Eucharist, but vice versa. If you don't see him in the Eucharist, you're not going to be able to see him in the beggar at the church door. Do we really believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the God-man, is really present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, in his risen, ascended, glorified body in the Holy Eucharist under the appearance of bread and wine? We need to believe that. And then that belief needs to follow up in action our faith needs to be put into action. We read the letter of James um, a couple weeks ago, maybe it was last week that we finished it up, that faith without works is dead. We, our faith should be put into action. Remember, the devil has faith, and he trembles, but he doesn't have love. We'll be right back with more from Bible with Barbers. Remember to call 877-526-2151 and sign up for the conference tomorrow, the conference on St. Joseph. You don't want to miss this. We'll be right back.
0: Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call triple eight five two six twenty one fifty one. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome back. Terry had an errand to run, so I'm here in the studio with my guardian angel, and I'm sure he's sending his guardian angel too. <laughs> Never alone. Um, where two or three are gathered in my midst, there I am in the midst, and my guardian angel and I are gathered here, and we're reading the Word of God. Um, If I'm not in the state of grace, Lord, please put me in it. If I'm in the state of grace, please keep me there. And if I'm in the state of grace, then all of heaven is with me because God is with me. For I have found my heaven on earth, for heaven is where God is, and he is in my heart, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity wrote. So we're going to look at 1 Timothy 6, 2c to to 12. 2c just means that they took a little piece of the previous verse, verse 2, and put it in there. So, Paul writes to Timothy, Beloved, Teach and urge these things. Whoever teaches something different and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the religious teaching is conceited, understanding nothing, and has a morbid disposition for arguments and verbal disputes. From these come envy, rivalry, insults, evil suspicions, and mutual friction among people with corrupted minds who are deprived of the truth, supposing religion to be a means of gain. Indeed, religion with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, just as we shall not be able to take anything out of it. If we have food and clothing, we shall be content with that. Those who want to be rich are falling into temptation and into a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evils. And some people in their desire for it have strayed from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. But you, man of God, avoid all this. Instead, pursue righteousness, devotion, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Compete well for the faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made that noble confession in the presence of many witnesses. The word of the Lord. Well, there you have it. So Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is a bishop of the church. and he's telling him, you know we instructions what what is he talking about? Well I gotta turn the page back. I'm sorry there. Timothy it's it's chapter six, verse two, okay. Paul is criticizing here some false teachers who were wreaking havoc in Ephesus. So if you go back to the beginning of the letter to Timothy, um, he's talking about these false teachers who are wreaking havoc in Ephesus. In chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, where he says, he warns against false teachers. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia... Remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to occupy themselves with myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than divine training that is in faith. Whereas the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and good conscience and sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make assertions now we know that the law is good if any one uses it lawfully understanding this that the law is not laid down for the just but for the lawless and the disobedient for the ungodly and sinners For the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, immoral persons, sodomites, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So Timothy is being told, you know, at the end of the letter that, again, Watch out for these people. He's in Ephesus in order to correct this. He's the bishop. He's supposed to correct. And and again, what is Paul referring to here? We're supposed to live according to our dignity as children of God, which means we're supposed to behave like God. God doesn't love sin. He hates it. And he doesn't want us to sin. It destroys us. It disintegrates us. So he wants us to live a moral, upright life. He wants us to give up immorality and sodomy and kidnapping and lying and perjuring and everything else that's, you know, murder. He wants us to give all this, all the sins up, give up all our sins and live according to the gospel. Remember when Jesus presented the gospel in the beginning, what is the first thing he says? Repent. It is absolutely necessary to strive to give up our sins. And we might fall 10 times a day. Fine. Just Every time, get up again and turn back to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help. Yes, I'm a sinner, but you came to save sinners. Help me to go forward and not to continue in this sin. Help me to give up my sins and to live in the freedom that you have purchased for me, the freedom to live in love. St. Augustine would say, love and do what you will. If we love, we want to please the beloved. Well, the beloved is God. And if we fall in love with God, we want to do only what God wants us to do. And so we strive to keep his commandments and to be like him, to be faithful, you know? So Timothy is being warned about these false teachers. And he tells Timothy that the driving force behind their novelties is pride and an infatuation with controversy and a distorted view of leadership. And not only that, he says, you know, these people use religion as gain. They charged money for preaching the gospel. They wanted to get rich. The gospel isn't to make us rich in this world. It's not, you know, again, yeah, there's a great gain in religion. What is that great gain? we possess God. By embracing the faith, we get to possess God and God possesses us. And we have the promise of eternal life with him in heaven. If souls are saved, everything is saved. If souls are lost, everything is lost. So it's not about rivalry or insults or evil suspicions and mutual fiction. All of this, this is sinfulness. This is sin. This is what sin does. You know, it's interesting. In our, in our society, we have this whole thing about, you know, oh, we have two, you know, two factions in society and we have the, um, you know, oh, these oppressive white people who've always oppressed everyone. And of course, it's a false narrative about the reality of what's going on. But, um, you know, re- listen to Candace Owens and watch Uncle Tom. Go get the movie Uncle Tom and watch it. The reality is, it's not about the color of our skin. It's about the fact that we're all made in God's image. And so we should be concerned for each other. And there's been a great deal of that in our country. And right now there's a great deal of division, but it's interesting what the, what the dividing lines are. You know, one of them right now is abortion. They're saying, oh, it's a woman's right to choose. Well, anyone who has worked in the pro-life movement knows that women don't choose to kill their children or have their children killed. Not normally, in normal circumstances, not women in their right mind, okay? Women may be coerced. They may be um, pressured through fear into doing something they really don't want. But eight out of 10 women who are shown an ultrasound of their baby, who get to see their baby living inside of them, are gonna say no. Even if they've scheduled an abortion, they will cancel that appointment. So we need to reach out to each other in love, to build one another up in the faith and the love of God. And that's the great gain of religion. The great gain of religion isn't the health and wealth gospel. You know, I follow Jesus and therefore I'm never going to be sick. I'm going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? No, it doesn't. Doesn't Just because I say Jesus is Lord, that's not going to make me healthy, wealthy, and wise. Wisdom, first of all, is knowledge of God and the things of God. That's true wisdom. And 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 the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the lord that is the desire to please him it's it's awe and reverence in his sight that's the fear of the lord that's the beginning of wisdom health well you know god made a perfect paradise and adam and eve sinned and by that sin they disrupted all of nature not only man fell but all of nature fell what god made was good and and holy and and wholesome and now many plants and and um are, many plants are poisonous to people, and and animals want you know animals are they're, they're predators, and they don't they don't hunt people for food, but they will kill people now, and that's because of original sin. It brought division into the perfect world. Man had perfect dominion over the created world. Adam named all the animals, <laughs> but that was lost when Adam sinned, and he passes on to us the sin. He doesn't he passes on to us a natural life that is devoid of the gifts that God gave us, the preternatural gifts, the gifts that were above and beyond our nature. You know, that gift whereby all of nature was perfectly subject to man because God commanded it. And Adam lost that gift when he sinned. And death came into the world with sin. God didn't make death and he didn't make sin. So, but what happens, you know, when we sin, by the way, Sin doesn't just darken the intellect, it also weakens the will. So, darkens the intellect, that means we don't, and we're not able to reason as well when we give ourselves over to a life of sin. But it weakens our will also. We're not capable of saying no to sin. We're not capable of saying no to the desires of our flesh that are disordered. Our flesh, everyone's flesh, has disordered desires because we no longer have the gift of integration, which was a gift above and beyond our nature. We didn't lose anything that belonged to us when we sinned. But what happened is we lost a great grace because God had given us something that would have made it a lot easier to get to heaven. (laughs) And we lost it by sinning. So sin is what causes these factions and these um, mutual friction among people, the envy, the rivalry, the insults, the evil suspicion. That all comes from sinfulness, okay? Okay. So what is the great gain of religion? There is great gain, but the gain is not money. If people are charging you for the gospel, then they're not, then they're trying to get rich. Now, <laughs> and someone will say, well, how come Virgin Most Powerful Radio asks for donations? We do ask for donations. And do we? we do ask people to give a donation when they come to a conference. Because we do have to pay the light bill and the electricity bill and we have to pay the bill for this equipment in order to have this recording, okay? But we're not charging you for the gospel. We're asking those who are able to give if they can give something in order to support the apostolate because it needs supporting. Just like those women in the gospel were helping Jesus and his apostles out of their means, they were providing for their material support. I hear the music. We'll be back with more on Bible with the Barbers. We're talking about what is the root of all evil according to scripture.
0: Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888 526 2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back to the Bible with the Barbers on this Friday of the fourth, uh, 24th week in ordinary time, and uh, this happens to be September 17th, the day before our our conference on St. Joseph. So anyone out there listening who's local, if you haven't signed up yet, please sign up. Plan on coming to the chapel. There's plenty of room. Not a problem. So we're looking at 1 Timothy 6, uh, verses 2C through 12, where Paul is talking about um, the things, you know, the situation of the church in Ephesus and, and giving Timothy instruction. And Paul tells him, you know, there are people who are preaching the gospel because they want to get rich. They're asking, they're charging money for the gospel. And he, he tells him that yes, there is great gain in the gospel, in our religion, and that is the gain, of course, is Christ. We gain Christ, you know. And if we gain Christ, we have everything. If our soul is saved, everything is saved. And he goes on; he, he reminds him, we brought nothing into this world, and we're not going to be able to take anything with us, you know. Oh, granted, you could be buried in your Mercedes Benz, and you could, you know, put in your will that people bury everything that you own with you. Uh, they might not carry it out. <laughs> or like that, like the pharaohs of Egypt who had things buried, and then people snuck into the graves and stole it afterwards, you know. Um, but here's the deal, you know, if we have a sufficiency of the world's goods, we should be content with that. And the deal is people, He, he Paul warns that people have pursued riches, and they brought ruin unto themselves and great pain unto themselves also. It's funny, because, you know, you get a lot of money, and then you find out that other people are looking at all your money and things, and they're, they're envying you, and then you find out that people try and steal things from you, and you have all, lots and lots of troubles. But he goes on. Does the scriptures everywhere say that money is the root of all evil? Well, that's not what Paul says here, but he says the love of money is the root of all evil, and some people in their desire for it have strayed from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. The first example I think of is Judas. Judas. The scripture tells us that Judas was a thief. He kept the purse. He was the treasurer for the apostles, but he liked to help himself to what was deposited there. He was stealing. And he sold the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And what happens? He finds out that Jesus is actually going to let himself be killed. He's actually going to die on the cross. And Judas is horrified. And he goes back to the, the, the chief priest and he says, I betrayed innocent blood. And he, you know, he, he's holding out the money bag to them. I betrayed innocent blood. Eh, that's your affair. So what? It's done now. He's gone. He's going to be done with. That's all they're thinking. And Judas gets angry and he flings the money into the temple and he goes off and he hangs himself. In his pursuit of money, he thought he had everything under control. He had seen Jesus. How many times they had picked up stones to stone him, In Nazareth, they tried to throw him over the brow of the hill, you know, and he would slip away. In Nazareth, he didn't slip away. In the temple, he would slip away and hide. But in Nazareth, he just turned around and walked through this crowd, by the way. It's not the way they show it in one. There was some movie I saw one time where Jesus, you know, they take him to the brow of the hill and then he disappears and then he comes back later that night and he's all full of dirt and dust. And no, that's not the way it happened in the gospel. He turned around and walked through the mob, he was God. It wasn't his time. That wasn't the way he was supposed to die. And so, no, they couldn't throw him over the brow of the hill. And he turned around and walked through the mob. He walked right through their midst. Judas had seen all this and he figured, well, hey, you know, I can make a buck. I'll sell him for 30 pieces of silver. They'll catch him and he'll just work work another trick. He'll slip out of their hands. And Judas found out he didn't have it under control. He didn't have it all figured out. All he had was his money. Cold silver coins. And he hung himself. So what are we supposed to do? We don't pursue money. Let's pursue God. And it's interesting. Bishop Sheen had a little poem he used to like to say. I sought my God, but my God I could not see. I sought myself, but myself eluded me. I sought my neighbor and I found all three. Remember at the last judgment, Jesus will say, I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and sick and you visited me. I was away from home and you welcomed me. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. So open your heart to charity. Begin with charity in your home. Be loving toward the people around you and pursue the wealth of God. That is, the knowledge and truth of God. To know him and to love him. Beg God to fill your heart with his love. My God, let me love you. Lend me your love with which to love you, that you may be loved as you deserve, Tres of Lezu prayed. And lend me your heart, O Jesus, with which to love my neighbor, that I may love my neighbor as you have commanded. Because Jesus said to love one another as I have loved you. Well, I need your heart, Jesus, to do that. That's what Tres taught us. And right now, 40 Days for Life is going on. The innocent children. We need to protect the innocent, unborn children. It's a great crime. It's a crime that cries out to God for vengeance, the murder of the innocent. It's not a little thing. And as the Holy Father recently said, abortion isn't an issue. Abortion is homicide. When you say that abortion is okay, you're saying that homicide is okay. So think again. And Pope Francis just said this recently, like within the last couple of days on his trip back from Slovakia, I believe it was. So what are we supposed to do? He tells Timothy, but you, man of God, avoid all this. Don't be pursuing riches. Don't be loving money. Don't be wishing to be rich. Instead, pursue righteousness, devotion, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Compete well for the faith. By the way, faith is a gift. If you want it, ask for it. And if you have the faith, ask for more every day. My God, I believe in you. Increase my faith. My God, I hope in you. Strengthen my hope. I trust you. Strengthen my trust. I love you. Let me love you more and more. The acts of faith, hope, and love, we learn them as children. Do we pray them every day? We need to. We need to ask God for faith, hope, and charity every day. And for an increase in those virtues every day. It's not a once You know, that one, one and done, one's done time deal. You know, we have to, it's a renewal, renewal, renewal. Compete well for the faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your confession in the presence of witnesses. When he was baptized, he was called to eternal life. The same for us. We're called to eternal life. We're called to live a life in union with God. And by the way, not just in eternity, but right here on this earth, we are to begin to live a life in union with God. And when we are baptized, baptism is a sacrament. It's an outward sign of an inward grace. The water being poured on our head is the sign of new life, that the life of God, and this is actually what takes place in baptism, it actually causes the grace God gives the grace through the sacrament because Jesus Christ is God and he established the sacraments and gave them to his church. That when we're baptized, we receive God's life into our soul. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come to indwell in us. God lives in me because I've been baptized. So every day I need to ask him to keep me faithful. That's you Practice the presence of God. Recall that God lives in us. That God is present to us. And if we ever have the misfortune of committing a mortal sin where we cast the life of God out of our soul, well, guess what? Repentance. Turn back to him. Beg for the grace. Go to confession. Repent of your sins. That's what We're called to repentance. So we want to do this. We want to live this righteousness of children of God. And the psalm, the psalm that was read after, you know, I don't know if there are any non-Catholics listening, but you know Catholics read the Bible a lot, and especially if they go to daily mass. At Sunday mass, they have a reading from the Old Testament, a reading from the New Testament, and a psalm in between, and then the gospel reading. Uh, okay. At daily mass, they have a reading from the Old Testament or New Testament, a psalm, and then the gospel reading. Um, except, you know, at Easter time, during Easter time, they have a reading from the Acts of the Apostles, and then a psalm, and then another reading from one of the other books of the New Testament other than the Gospels, and then the Gospel. So at every Mass that every Catholic goes to, the Scriptures are read. That's the book we read, because the Scriptures are—it's it's the book that God gave us. This is His Word. We believe it's His Word. So in the psalm for today, it says, Why should I fear in evil days, when my wicked ensnarers ring me round? They trust in their wealth. The abundance of their riches is their boast— Yet in no way can a man redeem himself or pay his own ransom to God. Too high a price to redeem one's life. He would never have enough to remain always alive and never see destruction. Fear not when a man grows rich, when the wealth of his house becomes great. For when he dies, he shall take none of it. His wealth shall not follow him down. Though in his lifetime he was counted and though in his lifetime he counted himself blessed, they will praise you for doing well for yourself. He shall join the circle of his forebears who shall never see the light anymore. Remember the gospel, the parable of the rich man, the rich fool, who had a great harvest, And he thought, well, gosh, what am I going to do with all this harvest? Well, what about the poor? Maybe you can give some to the poor, his angel is saying to him. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my granaries and I'll build larger ones. And now I will sit back and say, I have wealth stored up for years to come. Eat well, relax, have a good time. Have it my way. Deserve a break today. And what does the Lord say? You fool this very night your life will be required of you. And to whom will all this piled up wealth go? See, we don't need to fear rich people, even when they threaten us with their wealth, even when they threaten to take away our freedom because we won't cooperate with their plan. No, we don't need to fear them. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We pray for the grace to follow the example of the saints, to stand strong against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and to stand strong against the temptation to please men. We're not here to please men. We're here to please God. We were made by God. We were made for God. We came from God. I hope we're going to God. If you want to, pray for the grace of final perseverance. Jesus, get me ready for heaven. Don't go away. I'll be right back with more on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, September the 17th.
0: Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Well, welcome back. Welcome back to the Bible with the Barbers. And I want to, I want to apply this, um, this whole teaching on the love of money and the desire for riches to uh, the current situation, especially in our country. We have some very, very wealthy people in our country who are pushing certain narratives And uh, one of the narratives that they're pushing, actually, is that um, human beings aren't really very important, and that we can eliminate human beings in order to save the environment, to save the planet, uh, because of global warming. Um, Obviously, people are the ones who pass around diseases, and we we have a situation going on in our country right now where they're trying to mandate vaccines, and what they're saying is that the unvaccinated are the ones who are causing the spread of the disease, well, there are doctors who disagree with that, and so we've talked a lot on Virgin Most Powerful Radio about the freedom of conscience. As made in God's image, we have a dignity as human persons, and we have freedom of conscience. God gave us an intellect, an ability to reason and think, so we're supposed to do that. And so we had a radio station write to us this week and say they wouldn't carry our our shows anymore, um, or the Terry and Jesse show anyway, because... Um, they talked too much about the vaccine and they were anti-vax. Well, we're not anti-vax. What we are is for the truth. We want people to know the truth. Remember Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So when we're imprisoned in lies or half-truths, we can't know the truth and we're not going to be free. And um, since I'm responsible to answer questions for the radio, uh, I, did, I did respond to the radio station. And, and I hope that the radio station understands I'm doing this in all charity. And what we're trying to do here at Virgin Most Powerful, we are trying to do in all charity. And the radio station claimed that actually that the church approves certain vaccines. Well, the church is not infallible in matters of science and medicine astronomy global warming no she's not so um, the church doesn't approve of vaccines she says you may take them it's it's morally acceptable possibly to take them under certain circumstances well so the church's most authoritative document on this to just to clarify for people out there is called dignitas personae it was written in 2008 And there's an article, which you should all look up, um, and I think we're going to put it on our website to make it easy for you, but The Morality of Receiving Abortion-Derived Vaccines. It's by Father Leon Pereira, P-E-R-E-I-R-A. I'm probably saying his last name terribly wrong. I'm sorry. P-E-R-E-I-R-A, O-P, Dominican. Father is a medical doctor and a moral theologian. He's a priest and a doctor. He was a medical doctor who became a priest. Okay, And Father quotes from Dignitates Personae to clarify what the church actually teaches. Okay, What's the sound moral principle? Well, the first principle is you can never do an evil so that good will come of it. Look at Romans, I believe it's Romans 3.8. Um, I wrote it down at home. Where, where Paul talks about that. You can't do an evil so that good will come of it. It's in the letter to the Romans, and it's in the beginning. I believe it's Romans three eight. So, um, so Father Paris, Father <laughs> I don't know. And anyway, Father Leon, Father Leon says this: the Church's most authoritative teaching so far has been Persona dig- dig- digna- excuse me, dignitas Persona, two thousand eight, which said that in the case where there is no other choice where the danger is real and the safety of children is threatened on a temporary basis. such vaccines may be used. She's not saying they have to be used, or she's not approving of them. she's saying they may be used, but pressure now here, and this is what people aren't talking about pressure must be put on governments, pharmaceutical companies, researchers, etc to find ethically acceptable alternatives. It's not ethically acceptable to receive abortion-tainted vaccines. So we have to put pressure on the government and on the pharmaceutical companies and the scientists and the doctors to come up with vaccines that aren't tainted with abortion. And they don't have to use aborted baby cells to do this. You don't have to use the cells of murdered children. The blood of the innocent's cries out to God for vengeance, okay? We need to stop the killing in our land. This is a solid biblical principle. We have got to stop the killing of the children. And we need to stop providing the abortion industry with excuses, with like, oh, but we're developing all these vaccines that are doing good for other people and we're saving so many lives by using... No, you're not. Fetal stem cell research where they murder little babies in a barbaric way that nobody's profited from it. You can use adult stem cells to help people get better. Use their own adult stem cells. Don't, don't kill little babies to get stem cells. Vaccines that are, you, they used aborted fetal tissue. To, you don't need that. They made vaccines before without that. Science be human pharmaceutical companies be human we're all made in the dignity in the in the image and likeness of god we bear a dignity as human persons even the little baby that's developing in its mother's womb and, and yes it's human if it's not a baby you're not pregnant okay so are we putting pressure on the government and pharmaceutical companies and researchers to find ethically accept, acceptable alternatives and furthermore Furthermore, and this is the church's clear teaching, no one can be compelled to take the vaccine. No one can be compelled to receive the vaccination. They have a right to refuse, although they should take precautions to reduce their role in the transmission of the disease during an epidemic. Well, the reality is 99.5% of people who got the COVID-19 virus last year survived it. And the the f the CDC lied about the numbers of people who actually died from it because hospitals were being paid. Again, the desire for money is the root of all evil. Hospitals were being paid to list people as COVID patients so that they could get more money. They got a certain amount of money for every COVID patient they brought in. And that test where they put the thing up your nose and take some cells and... It was never meant to be a diagnostic test. Look it up, don't trust me, look it up. Look up the doctor who, who invented that test. It's not a diagnostic. And by the way, you can refuse that test and insist on a saliva test. Dr. McAuliffe talks about it. And many doctors have come out. We, first of all, the vaccine is only to be used on a temporary basis and now they're talking about, well, you're gonna have to get boosters every three months and blah, 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 no, this isn't temporary. This is becoming very permanent. And they also say where the danger is real and there are no other choices. There are other choices. There are treatments for COVID-19 where people get well. (laughs) By the way, anyone who's had the vaccine, you've gotten the spike protein. So many of you are getting sick and many of you are ending up hospitalized. And by the way, many are dying and the CDC again is lying about the numbers. But it's possible that there's been over 45,000 deaths under President Ford when they did the, um, was it the, swine flu vaccine and 53 people died and they said no we can't do this anymore well now you've had 45,000 people in the United States of America die from this vaccine and they're not stopping it so money is that all we're about is money the rich people get to call the shots the Bill Gateses who say we have to reduce the world population the George Soros's who we have to reduce the world population the Tony Faucis God got mercy on them all God, have mercy on them all. We pray for their conversion. But all of these men are benefiting, but they're benefiting monetarily, just like Judas did by selling Jesus. If they don't repent, they could lose their souls. God doesn't want that. That's not what God wants. That's not what Jesus died on the cross for. We want a biblical worldview. We need to pray for the conversion of sinners. Myself first, okay? Top of the list here. Pray for me. But we need to stop buying into the lies. There are doctors who are treating patients every day. Dr. Zelenko has treated 7,000 patients through his office. He only lost three, and those three didn't come in early. And he's treated people with comorbidities. And he's given his treatment protocol to thousands of doctors around the world. America's frontline doctors, these are all doctors who are treating patients and they've all said, if a patient is treated early on and aggressively and properly, they don't need to go to the hospital, they don't need a vaccine, they don't need anything else. But you don't wait until they can't breathe. And that's what happened. People were coming in sick and they're saying, oh, go home for two weeks and if you're not feeling better, come back in two weeks and in two weeks, people are suffocating. (laughs) Well, no, you didn't treat them. You didn't give them a treatment. There was a treatment protocol out there. There were doctors who found it. Dr. Armstrong down in Texas City in the the county of Galveston. He had 58 patients in a rest home. And this was his, I saw the video with him talking. He had 58 patients in a rest home who got COVID. All had comorbidities. He only lost one, one out of 58. We don't need a vaccine. He treated them all. He treated them with hydroxychloroquine. He treated them with zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D, and he gave them ZPAC, an antibiotic, in case they got a bacterial infection. They were older people. He also had 23 healthcare workers infected with COVID. He treated them too, and he didn't lose any of those. So the reality is there is an alternative. <laughs> we don't need a vaccine. There's an alternative. And are children in danger? Well, actually, no. The only danger to the children is if you give them the vaccine. By the way, Pfizer... The, the FDA has said that the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, that these none of these vaccines are to be given to anyone under the age of 16. As a matter of fact, in, especially in boys under the age of 16, they cause myocarditis. Okay, inflammation of the heart. So where is the truth, people? Look it up, look up the facts. The CDC lied about the number of people who died of COVID. But even if they hadn't lied, The number of people who got the disease, 99.5% of the people who got it, only one half a percent of the people who got the disease died from it. There are alternatives to the vaccines. We don't need them. So early treatment, aggressive treatment, doing things the Lord's way. That is to see the dignity of every human being as made in the image and likeness of God We are God's children. We are his dearly beloved children made in his image. And we image him in whatever we do. And we image him when we take care of each other and when we love each other. And yes, we love those who hate us. We love those people who have said they want to kill us. We pray for them and pray for their conversion. So we have hope because Jesus Christ is our hope. You want more faith? Ask for it every day. Pray for us. Sign up for the conference tomorrow, please. We want the church filled tomorrow, so please come to the St. Joseph Conference here at um, the Sacred the, um, Heart Chapel in Covina at 381 West Center Street. We'll see you between 9 and 5 tomorrow. There will be an 8 a.m. mass at the beginning of the day and one at the end of the day at 5. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you again. Thank you for all the supporters, for all of those who pray for us, and we are praying for you also. May God richly reward you and bless you.